Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Daniel, Unseen Conflict, Part 1. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Greg and band. Got a Bible with you? Need to, gonna need to check it out. We're gonna be in. We're gonna be in it a bunch today on the screen and in front of you. Daniel is where we are, working our way through the Old Testament and making our way through a very interesting book. Daniel, all of them are interesting. Daniel's got some very powerful um, causes us to cross to draw some very powerful conclusions. Uh, last time we saw this amazing prophecy. In Daniel chapter 9, uh, that predicts a, a particular day in the life of Christ, 173,880 days in advance. In fact, even more in advance. Once that time clock starts ticking, uh, they knew exactly when to expect Jesus. And when Jesus arrived on that day, what did he do with them? Did he give them a second chance? No, he did not. God says exactly what he means and means exactly what he says. The best thing you can do is sit down and listen to the scriptures and say, this is what it means. Whatever it says. You may not understand it, let it speak. And so we're going to be seeing some more interesting things here in Daniel chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, considering some things, Daniel, Daniel 10 starts the final uh, vision of Daniel. He gets four different visions here in the final remaining, the six chapters 7 through 12. And uh, this final vision is going to take us through the last three chapters. It's going to start in chapter 10. It's going to take us through chapter 11 on into chapter 12, all the way through the resurrection. We're going to be looking at the resurrection in coming Sundays. And uh, not, not the resurrection of Jesus, even though that is implied, uh, or I should say Jesus' resurrection is everything, and the implied is our resurrection. But in particular, it speaks of our resurrection there in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, and we're going to be considering that. But Daniel 10 brings up some very interesting... Um, uh, provocative issues that we're going to be looking at for the next several Sundays together. He begins this vision here, and by the way, he, he wasn't going out looking for visions. You know, we hear people they, today talking about visions and wanting to see God and wanting to do all that stuff. I, I wonder, have these people read the Bible? Because I don't find a single person in the Bible seeking a vision, and those that do have them hated them. Daniel, in chapter 8, was sick afterwards sick for days after this experience that he had just with an angel we're just talking about an angel we have these songs that say i want to see the face of god and you are going to get to do that by the way good or bad you're going to get to see the face of god it's either going to be a great day or it's going to be a really bad day for you and i hope it's a great day for you and that's a decision you have a chance to make that decision in this life but you will not be given a chance in that life there's no second chances after that no more than he gave the second chances to the people of Israel in the day that they didn't recognize his coming. Nonetheless, you, you have this, 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 this opportunity that we have to stand before God and to listen to him and, and follow him. And so we're gonna, we have his word speaking to us. And so we're here in Daniel 10 uh, considering this final vision. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel. Daniel's in his 80s. He was named Belshazzar. That's the way he was called. And the message was true and one of great conflict. You might want to underline that because that's the theme of the rest of the chapters here, this huge conflict. We're going to be introducing it here in this chapter and looking at the things that, that God is going to be telling us about this conflict. And the conflict is um, something you might imagine, but maybe more than you imagine. So keep going. But he understood the message, it says. And he had an understanding of the vision. So Daniel, like I said, passed out in the previous one. I'm sorry, he was sick in the previous chapter, chapter 8. And this one, he's going to pass out twice. So you say you want to see the face of God and experience the angels. Have you read the Bible? It was never fun. 
Every time an angel shows up, he has to tell the people, do not be afraid. Why? Because they were. You want to fall over like you're dead? Daniel does this twice because of the experience he has just with an angel. And so, and what, but first of all, it's not going to be an angel. Let's keep reading. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. How many days is that? 21. 21, three weeks, however you want to call it. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did I eat, nor did, or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks. So he's in fasting. It's a, it's a limited fast. We typically think of fast as no food, no water, or no food and water. This is a limited fast. He's basically bread, bread and water type of fast, seeking God. And why do we fast? Because if you, if you do without food, God is more likely to answer you. No. There is no way to get God over a barrel. He's not endowed to you or owing to you in any way. It's just simply, it's not, it doesn't do anything with regards to God. Fasting doesn't. It does everything with regards to you. Because you're depriving yourself, saying, effectively in a fast, you're saying, there's something more important in my life than me eating food. There's something more important in my life than having, he's a, he's a dignitary, Daniel is. He's got privy to all kinds of fabulous food and all kinds of fine drinks and all kinds of stuff. He deprives himself of all these things. He says, I wanted to focus on God. So you want to know what the secret of Daniel's life is? You're reading it. He was a man of prayer. He was a man dedicated to praying for his people and praying for people who did not know God. And so that's what you're seeing right there. Why was he the kind of guy he was? Because the guy would take three weeks. When were you devoted to prayer? A day. Three weeks? And this wasn't his first time. You're looking at the secret of this man's life. And he said, I didn't participate in these things until the three weeks were completed. And the 24th day of the first month, he's very careful documenting. This is a government agent. This guy is very precise. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the banks of the river, that is the Tigris. Some of your translations do not say Tigris. And the reason why they do not say Tigris is because the actual word in Hebrew is not Tigris. You're reading the Hebrew word for it. They just had a different name. But it was the Tigris River. There's only two rivers in the Middle East where Daniel was, the Tigris and the Euphrates. He's up on the Tigris, which is to the north of Euphrates. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen. It's going to cease to be a man from this point on by the description. Whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Ufaz. His body was like beryl, like a, like a crystal. His body was like that. His face had the appearance of lightning. Like I said, that's, this is not your normal man. His eyes were like a flaming torch. So you want to see this? I'm thinking this is the stuff of your heart attacks are made of. He certainly nearly has one. His arms and his feet are gleaming like polished bronze, like this stuff up here. That's the, what his skin looked like or his, the arms and legs looked like. And the sound of his words were like a tumult, like this roar, literally what is what it says. So what you, what you have here in, with the exception of the description of hair, where there's no description here of hair, is the exact description you have of none other than Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1. So I would suggest to you, because they're so similar, that you're not looking at an angel here. You're looking at the pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to get into that. And I would recommend it. We, we're probably going to get into that in, in months and weeks to come as we go through the Old Testament because there's other appearances of Christ there. Pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus. And Jesus appears in the same fashion. With a, only, only thing we lack is the description of his hair as we have in Revelation. We do not have it here. I would, I would suggest to you strongly that this is not an angel. This is Jesus. So as a result of him seeing this, he passes out, like falls flat, flat on his face. So like I said, do you want to see Jesus? Okay. So this is what happens to people that see Jesus. 
he, he passes out, and then we pick, up the, pick it up again. Now, this, from this point on, Jesus is not going to be, he's involved in everything, but this, from this point on, it's going to be an angel. Then behold, he says, a hand touched me. So he's laying passed out cold on the ground. A hand touched me, set me trembling on my hands and feet, hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken the words to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, do not be afraid. Why does he have to say that kind of stuff? Because, because he's scared to death, man. Wouldn't you be? Daniel, it says, from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this, how many days? The first day. So how many days ago was that? 21. He starts praying and fasting. From the first day you prayed and humbled yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to those words. So it's taken 21 days for him to get there? That's kind of weird. He's going to explain it in the next verse, even though it may not be a good enough explanation for you. Because it's just going to get weirder here. But, he says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me, how long? 21 days. Who was that? So, so if I'm to interpret this correctly, what I've got here is an angel whom a physical prince is holding back. Is that true? That is not true. That is not what it's saying. What you have here is a non-physical spiritual entity, otherwise we know as an angel, being held up by another spiritual entity that is opposing him that he refers to as the prince of Persia. So is this saying that behind the leadership and and the the, uh, administration of the kingdom of Persia, there was this evil creature? Yeah, that's exactly what it's saying. Take it, take it for what it's worth. So the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me. How does a physical human being withhold a spiritual angel? They don't. Takes another spiritual angel of a different kind. And that's what happens here. And, when, and then behold, Michael, he's talking like we know what this stuff is. And like Daniel knows what this stuff is. And I'm thinking Daniel's wondering the same way we are. Then he said, behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. Does that mean, was Michael a physical creature? I don't believe so. In fact, I know not. Because you go to Revelation and other places in Daniel, you have Michael showing up. He's called an archangel. So not until this big, big swing of an angel shows up am I actually released from the hooskow that this, this uh, uh, demon threw me in, in my interpretation of it. Okay? That's what he's saying. So that's really weird. I just have to say you're absolutely right. One of the chief princes, Michael, comes. He came and helped me, and I had been left there with the kings, notice, plural, of Persia. So not just one demon, a bunch of them. And now I have come to give you understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision pertains. So he's been commissioned, sent out 21 days before to give an answer. And he's been held up 21 straight days until Michael finally shows up and releases him so he can bring the message to Daniel. That's exactly what it says. Keep Keep going. Now look at verse 18. Then this one, by the way, now he says this to him and Daniel passes out again, falls flat on his face. So like I said, you want to see this kind of stuff? This is the kind of thing that happens to you. You're scared to death. Then this one with a human appearance, notice what he looks like. What does he look like? A human being. He doesn't say he has wings. Doesn't say he doesn't have wings, but he doesn't say he does. Just looks like a human being. Appeared and touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, oh man of high esteem, do not be afraid, right? 
Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, my, may my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And then he said, do you understand why I have came to you? The answer is no, but he's going to tell him I shall now return to fight notice against the prince of Persia. So there was a battle getting there with spiritual entities between spiritual entities, good and bad. And there's going to be a battle getting out of there. And it's not going to be just one spiritual entity. Notice what else he says. Fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm now going forth. Behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. Now, I'm not thinking he's talking about a physical prince. Are you? No. So, so, so let's ask the question. He goes on. Let's finish the chapter. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writings of the truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces. That's an implied translation there. Except Michael, your prince. So I have a a non-physical entity that we call an angel who's coming to bring a message to Daniel that Daniel's been asking for 21 days now. He's withheld up for 21 straight days because of a fake angel, a false angel, an evil spirit, a demon, whatever you want to call him, has held him up because apparently they were more powerful than that particular angel. And when Michael hears about it, he goes down, gets the angel out of the hooskow. Now the angel's coming and able to deliver his message. But he says, I had to fight my way here. I'm going to have to fight my way back. And it's not just the princes of Persia that I got to deal with. It's also the princes of Greece and they're not physical entities. So, wow, this is something else. So, so man, this is teaches us some incredible stuff. So let me ask you maybe a question that's coming to your mind. Is it possible that there are demons behind the political structure of nations like ours you think so I, to me it explains a whole lot <laughs> makes a lot better sense politics makes a lot better sense to me from the bible does it not what's going on up there well <laughs> this is going on in the background unseen but they are not minor players they are the major players albeit not visible with the naked eye. So here's the first question. Why is this in here? I mean, where's the warm, fuzzy feeling we're supposed to get when we come to church and we read the Bible? Isn't God all about that? Where's the encouragement we're supposed to get? Where's the, where's the uh, 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 moral instruction? Where's the pep talk, right? Well, that's in the Bible. It's in there. It's just not all the Bible's that way. And that's all, like I told you last time, if that's all you're getting from where you're going, you need to go somewhere else where they teach the whole Bible. Because here's, I like a J. Vernon McGee phrase. J. Vernon McGee is a pastor out in West Texas, passed away years ago, pastor out in Los Angeles, awesome man. I'd recommend his commentaries to you very strongly. He, he has said frequently, and I say repeating him, all the word of God for all the people of God because sermonettes from preacherettes produce Christianettes. <laughs> That's the truth. We've got a lot of Christianettes out there because we have sermonettes and preacherettes. You've got to get the whole Bible, the stuff you like, the stuff you don't like, the stuff that makes you feel warm and fuzzy. I love that stuff too. And the stuff that does not make you feel warm and fuzzy, the stuff that brings you encouragement and the stuff that depresses you. You've got to take it for what it is. Guys, we've got to, we've got to allow the word of God that he's inspired to do its work in our life. The fun stuff, the not so fun stuff, the difficult stuff, the, the horrendous stuff, whatever it is, we've got to allow it to do the work. But ultimately, the reason why this is in the Bible is answered already for us in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Paul, writing about the Old Testament, Daniel included, says, for whatever, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, for us to understand, digest, 
and assimilate into our lives, whatever it is. So if you don't have a whole Bible reading program, you need to get one. A whole Bible study program, you need to be in one. Because whatever was written for your whole instruction, you're depriving yourself of what's actually for you. Notice, so that, it's going to give us two things. Through perseverance, these are, both these words are pointed at the word scriptures. The perseverance in the scriptures and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Those are the two things that we have to do. You've got to persevere in the scriptures, the word of God. And you have to be in, thus encouraged through the word of God. And only then do you gain hope. Anybody want hope? Anybody want hope in your life? Are you doing what this says? If you're not doing what this says, then how are you going to get hope? Because God has already given the prescription. Here's the doctor saying, this is what it is. This is what you need. Here's my prescription. You're not taking the pills. Two pills, perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures. You have to persevere in it. You have to hang on to it. You don't have to have a Bible teacher to understand the scriptures. It's nice to have those. It's great to them. There's a lot of good ones out there. There's a lot of bad ones out there. Be very careful. But understand, the word of God is inspired by God. And if you know Jesus, God's son as savior, then the spirit of God lives in you. He's the teacher. He will teach you. You don't have anybody that you trust? Okay. Sit down with the Bible and say, God, you promised to teach me this word. You gave it to me not to confuse me, but to instruct me, right? Trust him and he'll do it. But you've got to persevere in it. You've got to stick with it. So why is it in the Bible? Because it's there for our instruction ultimately. So what it's telling us here, basically, there's a bunch of stuff going on in the world that you may not be completely aware of. But it's not inconsequential. In fact, it may be the consequential thing, the, ins- the most significant thing that is going on. And let me put it to you more in a, in a broader sense. There are angels out there, and there are demons out there. And they exist in a spiritual realm that the Bible calls the heavenlies. We're going to see that reference in just a bit in Ephesians. And they are engaged in ongoing conflict that you cannot see, but that is the major player. It's a major player or the major player in world leaders, politics, armies, wars, transitions of power. The major players of the day were Persia and Greece and Babylon. Behind all those were spiritual entities and fighting in the midst of that were spiritual entities. They were the major issues. So if you don't know that, well, you're missing out on a bunch of stuff. Speaking on mission out, we have places in the scriptures where people were missing out. And in, in, in one case, in the book of 2 Kings, a prophet by the name of Elisha, by divine revelation, was receiving information about troop movements of a physical army, the Syrian troop army, the army, troop. And he was relaying that information to the Syrian army to, to, the, to the king of Israel so that the king of Israel could be guarded in those areas. So if Syria tried to attack in those areas, he was fortified there. And they did it several times and couldn't figure out, how are the Israelis knowing? And he sits down with his commanders and says, which one of us is the traitor? Because he was confident there's no way they could have known. And they said, none of us are the traitor, sir. The one that's telling the, king, the, telling the king of Israel everything, including what you say in your bedroom, is Elisha the prophet in Israel. He says, we've got to get this guy. So that's what they do. So he gets his whole army together, finds out that he's staying in a city called Dothan with his servant. He surrounds the city by night, wakes up in the morning. Elisha, it's just a regular old morning, sends his servant out to McDonald's for coffee and hash browns. And he goes out, looks over the wall, and they're, they're surrounded by the Syrian army, a formidable force. He goes back and tells Elisha, man, we're done. This is bad. And Elisha effectively says, don't worry about it. And he says something here that I would say is very quotable and worth your memorization, he says to his servant, notice, 2 Kings chapter 6, Do not fear, 
For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It is true for every child of God. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He's about to see who those are in just a second. So Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. This servant's not seeing what he needs to see. And the Lord opened the servant's eye, it says, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. War. It was war. The major players, though, were not the Syrian physical army. These guys were. And that's how we knew. Don't worry about these physical guys because we got this handled here. Those who are for us are way more than those who are against us. Even one angel against the entire army, it destroys 185,000 Syrians later on. I'm sorry, Assyrians later on in the, in the book of 2 Kings. One angel does all that. So, wow, a whole troop of them and chariots and horses. Oh, my goodness. What, what else are we missing, though? This war is, is spoken more frequently, maybe more clearly, in the New Testament. This is Old Testament references we're using here. But it's spoken more frequently, more clearly in, in the New Testament. Here's our reference to the heavenlies, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. He's speaking to the whole church of Ephesus. He says, put on the full armor of God. Are you doing that, by the way? If you're not, you're getting beat up. If you're not, they're mopping the floor with you. Because he doesn't say that because it's an option. He's, well, it is an option. It's an, either you have a good day or it's not going to go very well. Option. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Very clear. Can't do it otherwise. For our struggle, notice, is not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are not the major players. They're not. And then, if you will, referencing back to Daniel, he references this chapter effectively here. But against, notice our struggle is against the rulers, right? We call them the kings of Persia, the princes of Persia and Greece. The rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness is literally what the Greek says. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heaven, in the heavenlies. We got this battle going on. That's where the real issues, that's where the real things are being decided. And you're not armed for that? You're not even aware of that? Oh, that's why it's not going well for you. Part of the reason. You're unaware, you're unaware of these kind of things. Have you noticed that it gets lighter in the mornings and darker in the evenings? The demons are doing that, right? No. What else are you missing if you're missing this? It's, a, it's not a minor theme in the scriptures at all. It's massive. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be embarking on a couple of Sunday study of demonology, for lack of a better way to put it. And by the way, not to glorify, but to de-glorify these guys. Because there's so much of what we think about them that is glorifying to them because they invented it. Because we've gone past the scriptures, or we've not gone to the scriptures at all with regards to learning about these, these guys. So there's two extremes for us to avoid. Number one is, number one extreme is this. There are no such thing as demons or evil spirits. That is an extreme that needs to be avoided categorically. They say, they go on to say, demons and evil spirits were just simply ancient classifications of mental illness or otherwise physiological, psychological, or chemical problems. I, I, it doesn't seem like Paul feels that way. Does it, am I misreading this? I don't hear any psychology or this guy's got a chemical problem, we need to increase his lithium or nothing like that. I'm not saying those aren't real things. I'm just saying it has nothing to do with what he's talking about here. 
He's not talking about that. He's talking about real living creatures that are doing stuff that we have to be armed against. Jesus, on multiple occasions, had encounters with not only demons, but also the devil, and in no way indicated in any way they were anything other than intelligent, sentient, real beings. But you know more than Jesus does, right? Right. We're smarter today than they were back then. In some ways we are. Some ways we're not. But I would definitely say if what you believe disagrees with what Jesus says, you've got yourself a problem. Especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. You're going to have to adjust your position one way or the other. So one extreme to avoid is saying there's no such thing as these things. The other extreme is to say that they are doing everything. They're behind every rock. If you sneeze, you've got a demon of sniffles you need to rebuke. You got, I mean, you hear this kind of stuff. Y'all watch too much television because that's where you're getting that malarkey from. Every last thing that's bad in the world is because people are, have demons. They, this person acts bad because he's demon-possessed. i got to cast a demon out of my son because he said a bad word. I mean, crazy stuff. Let me, let me com- comment on that very briefly. Our world indeed is fallen and it is bad stuff does happen. And indeed, to be sure, there is a cause out there called demons. And it, it is a possible potential cause. But it is not the cause of everything. Some of you aren't old enough to remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. So the devil makes you do everything. What I've noticed about people, people are capable of being real bad by themselves. They don't need a demon. Some of us are so messed up that the devil says, oh, don't mess with her. She'll, she'll mess herself up all by herself. He'll, he'll run himself off a cliff all by himself. We don't need to sign a demon. There's a limited number of these guys. So, so let's be careful. These extremes are dangerous, and that's exactly the position. The devil doesn't care which one you hold as long as you hold one of them. C.S. Lewis said with regards to these extremes, he says they are equally pleased, the demons are, with both errors. And they hail materialists just like they do magicians with the same delight. They love it when you go to these extremes because you certainly aren't in the area of truth because the area of truth is somewhere in the middle. How do we hold the middle ground? Watch my lips. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. May we not fall short of everything that it says. And may we not go beyond anything that it says. And that's what's happening a lot in this demon stuff. They have a bunch of stuff. We have all kinds of things that we do. When you look in the scriptures, they weren't doing that. A bunch of things we believe, they weren't believing that. So what do you need to do with that stuff? Throw it in the trash. Erase that part of your hard drive and your brain. Get rid of it. It's, wor- it's worthless. So uh, first major point, we've already made it effectively, but we need to make it again here that in this process as we discuss this. First major point is that there is a spiritual conflict that has been going on, and it has been going on from the beginning. And the subject of the conflict is you, me. Why are angels fighting out there? Because people whom God loves, whom he sent his son Jesus out to rescue, that's why. If people weren't involved in this, we would not have this conflict. It would all be cut and dry. They would all be in hell. The angels would all be in heaven. And God would be the same as he's always been for all eternity. But people are now involved in this. And so God, the people whom God loves, sinners, and there's a conflict now that's involved because we have this, this, this stuff cast in the middle of 
sinners who deserve hell and yet God loves who's trying to rescue and bring them to heaven. And so there's going to be this ongoing conflict until this all sums up and all is over. But the forces of good effectively have been in a conflict with the forces of evil. And the forces of evil are very clearly stated for us in Scripture in multiple places. One of the places is Revelation 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down. That would be from heaven. And the serpent of old, it describes him several ways. Who is called the devil and Satan. Who deceives how much of the world? The whole world. Are you in the world? Could you be deceived? Yeah. Yeah, you, you can easily, even as a child of God, you can be deceived. But you can be sure a person who's not a child of God is deceived. It's just the level of deception. All it is. You know what I know about deception is that when you're deceived, you don't know that you're deceived because that's the nature of deception. Isn't that right? Because if I knew I was deceived, I would no longer be deceived. Isn't that right? So they don't know that they're deceived because that is the nature of deception and the world is like that. The whole world, believe the Bible? Then you believe, believe this. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Who were these? It tells us in the same chapter that they were one third of all the angels of heaven. So it's 33.33333% right? So how many is that? Well it's very interesting we're never told the number. We don't know the original number, so how can we divide it by thirds, right? So, but it's amazing to me how many books are in your library and how many doctoral theses have supposedly been written over how many angels there are that fell from heaven. Guys, if it's not in the Bible, there's not an answer. Don't waste your time. There's so much you can know. Don't waste your stuff, time on stuff you cannot know. By the way, I would say that would be a, a project that's funded by demons. He would love to get you distracted on stuff like that. How many is 33 and a third percent? I don't know. Let's just say it's a bunch. We started off with a whole bunch, and a third of that whole bunch fell from heaven along with Satan, and there seems, seems to be a bunch of them, a whole bunch of them, because they sure are doing a whole bunch of stuff, to be sure. So listen, Satan has been allowed to not only have, but retain dominion over the earth for a time. It's not because God can't stop him. There are not equals. Satan and, and God are not equals. There's not a, it's not a, to say God is, is, Satan is an enemy of God is, is to assume in some ways that he can pull something on God that God can't do. That there's, there's some, there, there are equalities, if you will, between demon forces and angelic forces. Yes. There is no equality between Satan and God. None. One is the creator. The other one is the created. Everything else is created by the creator. He stands superior over all of them infinitely superior so don't don't mistake that god can easily stop him but he does not do you know why because there's a necessary process that we're under here called consequences consequences are necessary so god says don't sin but we do sin many doesn't allow us to experience the consequences then why not just sin you know i can do dad tells me to do this and i don't do it but i know that dad won't come through with the consequences so what is boy going to do he's going to keep doing the stuff God doesn't work like that. God says, don't do it. And when you do, consequences, no second chances, over, done, final. Part of the consequences of our sin is that we had the Lord of the universe as our king and we chose a dark Lord. And so what do we get? We get the ramifications of our choices. We're underneath his dominion. The whole world is. The whole thing is. The whole world, says there. The whole thing and it's going to play that way until it plays out, until the time God decides that he's done, until he's rescued all that he can possibly rescue from the world. But to be sure, to be sure, it's categorical. It's the whole world. 
I have appeared. This is, by the way, Paul giving testimony of his call to ministry and repeating the things that Jesus said to him when he was called to that ministry. And part of, the, part of this is very instructive to the topic we're discussing together. I have appeared to you, he says, to appoint you, Jesus speaking to Paul, a minister to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness, this present darkness that the whole world is in, right? To light, and from where? The dominion of Satan to that of God. That they may receive forgiveness of their sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Every person who comes to Christ, who comes to faith in Christ and is forgiven of their sins comes out of the dominion of Satan. There are no other places to get them from. When you were saved, you were saved out of the dominion of Satan. Oh, well, I wasn't a bad person. I didn't say that. But I did say very clearly the Bible states that you were part of the dominion of Satan. You were underneath his boot. He controlled you. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. Demon-possession is a different order of dominion. And it is real, but it is, I guess you could say, special and rare compared to the average non-Christian out there who is 100% under the dominion of Satan. The fact that they're not possessed is just simply because he doesn't want to. Because he has dominion over them. He can do it. And they can't stop him. And we need to know that. But he's got a limited number of demons. You can't just throw all your demons at a bunch of people and then you leave a whole bunch of people un, untended. He's smarter than that. He's not near as dumb as maybe we, we would like to give him credit for or like to think. He would like you to think that he is, but he definitely is not. Again, categorical statements. They're all under it. First John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God. Do you know that? The Bible says you can know that. That you don't have to wait until you die. Some people say, well, while I stand before God, I'll find out. Well, by golly, you better not wait till then. You better figure it out here. You can know. We can know, it goes on to say in 1 John, uh, previous three verses before, we can know that we have everlasting life. You can know it. He who has the Son has a life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have a life. But he goes on to say, we can know, we know that we are of God, and the, how much? The whole world is under the sway of of the evil one. You know, it's very interesting wordplay here. That word sway of the evil one, literally the word in the Greek is reference to a lap. Like something is in their lap. So re let's read it that way. We know that the whole world is in the lap of the evil one. So it's not just the grasp of the evil one, right? I mean, you're in the control of something when I'm in, I got you in my grasp, right? That's, that's, that's of course implied. But if I've got you in my lap, what have I got? I'm not, I'm not just in control of you. I'm messing with you. See, that's, it's just saying they're, they're completely, completely involved in Satan. Satan's completely in control of him. He's completely overriding and controlling it. That's what it says. We know that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Do you know that? Do you know that? So there are only two sides. Neither are neutral. Either of the kingdom of God or you are of the kingdom of Satan. You either a child of God listening are you a child of satan there are no other options you can't say that pastor it says it you shouldn't condemn pincers they're already condemned guys the sinners are already condemned someone needs to tell them it's not fair say that they're fine say that they're okay god loves them and they're going to be fine apart from presenting them the gospel of jesus and they're dealing with their sins guys that is false teaching it's a lie Everybody's a children of God. No, they're not. They're definitely, clearly, biblically 
not let us know everything the scripture has to say and let us not go beyond what the scripture says, correct? They're a possession, you're either a possession of God or you're a possession of Satan. Like I said, not necessarily possessed in the strict sense. But again, categorical language we see in the scriptures are replete with this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, those whom God sent Jesus to save, all of us, he himself likewise, namely Jesus, partook of the same, that is flesh and blood, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. Notice, this is not some spiritual force. This is not Star Wars. It's not the dark force out there, or the whatever. What is it? I forgot what it is. I've been so unconnected with Star Wars. What is it called? It's kind of mess with me. Somebody say, what is it? The dark and the... Hmm? Dark side. There it is. It's not the dark side. It's not some, some unpersonal un, 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 uh, force. It's a literal person. Him, and he names him, who had the power of death, namely the devil, and might, that he might free those through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives, completely categorical. They were all underneath him. They all belonged to him. They all were under this slavery of death. Jesus came to set us free from that. So the first major point is, is that there's a spiritual conflict that has been going on since the beginning. Second major point. We got only six more, by the way. The second, second major point is the, that this conflict is escalated beyond the angels. We saw here in Daniel these angels fighting, and they're fighting already. We've seen that, you know, the, you know, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the reason why we have to have this armor on the rulers and the principalities and the, and the powers of this present darkness that we're in. And these are speaking of angels, and there has been angel, angelic conflict, and we're the subjects of that an, angelic conflict, again, since the beginning. But nonetheless, there has been a heavenly invasion of a different class. And that class would be not a created being, but the creator has invaded himself. The one who practices a sin is of the devil. That's pretty clear, isn't it? For the devil sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for what purpose? To destroy the works. Why did he come? He came to rescue. It was not search and destroy. That one's coming. That's a second coming. But the first coming was a rescue, a search and rescue mission to take out of the kingdom and the dominion of Satan those who belong to him who could not escape. You're a slave. You're bound. You're in chains. You're under his dominion. You're under his deception. You're under his heel. There's no escaping. So one who's more powerful than him had to come. Why did Jesus have to be God? Because there was no other way. So you think I'm going to march in and tackle Satan? You think any other angel is going to march in and tackle Satan? So one of these angels couldn't withstand some of these demons who were called the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece. And they're not even talking about Satan. By the way, Satan's not an angel. Never was. He's a cherubim, super class of angel. And they had six wings covered with eyes, hands, several hands. They had feet like calves. They had four different faces facing the cardinal direction. So what would a corrupted version of that look like? That's Satan. That's what the Bible describes as Satan. So they're going to stand up against him? No, it had to be of a higher class. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why it had to be the Son of God only to rescue us. That's why he has to be God or you're still in your sins. Because only the Son of God, the eternal God, can rescue from his sins and an infinite number of sinners, an infinite number of sins, only the infinite God can handle that. That's why it had to be God. That's why Jesus has to be God. So Jesus has invaded. The entire world was in bondage to a demonic system of sin and death. Jesus has come to rescue us by doing two things. Number one, dying to pay for our sins. That was our first problem. Secondly, 
by rising again to conquer death. So both sin and the consequences of sin, which is death, have been conquered by Christ in his first coming. It was a rescue mission. Search and rescue. Why did Jesus come? He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We could add many other descriptors to that. That which is in bondage. That which is under dominion. That which is dead. Scripture says, when you're not in Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. When you come to Christ, you pass out of death, it says, into life. It's a complete deliverance. Maybe you've never heard this, but Jesus came to set sinners free. Maybe you've heard that. I don't know. He came to set sinners free, and that's what we need. Release. I need to be set free from bondage. I can't control myself. I can't come out from underneath it. Or I say, I'll never do it again. What do I do? Because I can't control myself. I'm under dominion. It is always, listen, every time a deliverance. Here of different ministries saying we have a deliverance ministry. People are under the control of Satan and we're delivering them from that. And I'd say awesome. There is not a church that is doing what churches do that is not a deliverance ministry. It is always deliverance. So I'm taking you. Satan's not giving up his stuff for free. He's not saying, you know what, I'm sick of her. Come and get her, Jesus. No. I'm tired of these people. I'm just going to turn them loose. No. He doesn't let go of his stuff. You've got to fight him for it. It's always a deliverance ministry. It always is. Some are greater deliverances, some are smaller. It makes no difference. You're delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life, from the domain of Satan to the domain of God. It is always a deliverance. It always is. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It takes, there's only one person that can do that. The son of God himself. He has delivered us, it says, from one dominion to the other. Only he can accomplish this. Only he can do this. It's only him. Jesus came, listen, to save sinners. And sinners are slaves of Satan. So, and in bondage to him. So, if he is going to forgive them, if he is going to convert them, if he's going to rescue them, if he's going to save them, he's got to deliver them, doesn't he? You can't leave them where they are. They're in bondage. You couldn't leave the children of Israel in Egypt and have them delivered at the same time. You've got to cross the Red Sea. You've got to get out of there. God delivers us through his son, Jesus Christ. It is always, always a deliverance ministry. It's always coming out of bondage into relationship with God, always. So now, listen, that Jesus has created a breach and provided a way out of deliverance The power of deliverance, listen, the message of the power of deliverance has been commissioned to the church. Notice Jesus isn't here. He went to heaven. He left the church in charge to accomplish the same ministry that he came to accomplish, to proliferate it. He says, I go to heaven. Why? Because you'll do greater things than I did when I was here, he effectively says. Because I'm going to send you the comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. He's going to be in you. He's going to enable you to do this deliverance ministry. So what is a deliverance ministry? Is it us going around binding all these Satan? We bind Satan in the name of Jesus and we cast out Satan to do all this. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that sometimes. But guys, read the New Testament. You don't find them doing that. The stuff you're watching on television, those knuckleheads, it always seems like they've got to have some white stripe in their hair. Have you noticed that? I need to get a white. I'm getting one. It's kind of on the side. I had one down the middle, but then it all fell out. They're binding and claiming and doing all this kind of stuff. And where in the New Testament do you find Paul or Peter or John or any of these writers doing that stuff? 
Why are we acting outside the scriptures? See, what, what we've done is we've been deceived. We've been deceived into believing that there is a power out there and there's a way we exercise power and the way we deliver people that is extra biblical. Not of the Bible. The Bible's very clear about what delivers. Here's what it is. The power of deliverance is the message of deliverance, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. Read it carefully. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You don't find Paul going out and casting and binding and doing all this stuff. I'm not saying he never did it. It's just not recorded in the Bible. What is recorded in the Bible is what he constantly did. Is he went around preaching the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. Which is always deliverance, isn't it? For everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greeks. Just a pattern. First to the Jews, then to the Greeks. For everyone who... Believe. So they just simply accept this deliverance by believing on God's son, Jesus. And in that process, they are, among many other things, they are delivered out of the kingdom of Satan. The domain and the boot of Satan comes off of them permanently, forever and ever. But what we have here, what we really have going on here, and what we really are involving ourselves in as churches is something that I think Jesus described very well about the religious people of the day in which he walked the earth. This is what he says about them. Describing, again, these real sentient, intelligent creatures called demons, he describes the process that they go through. He says, when, he, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, why do they do that? Because they want to. Because they want to. There were religious people of the day supposedly casting out demons. We read the book of Acts, these seven sons of Sceva casting out demons. And this demon says, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? Remember it? And they wind up beating up the guys and they run out naked and bleeding seven guys by one guy beat up because he's supernatural power because his demons are in him. Anyway, so this demon comes out when they want to because when you belong to the domain of Satan, they can do whatever they want to with you. They really can. He goes through, dark, he goes through dry places. So he goes somewhere to West Texas, right? <laughs> Seeking rest and finds no home. Finds none. Then he says, what was I doing? I caramba, right? I will return to my house, what's he talking about? The person that he left, of which I came, and when he comes, and he finds it empty, swept and put in order. This guy's gotten religious, he's gotten himself fed, he's gotten himself in shape, he's gotten stuff straightened out, he's worked out things in his marriage, he's gotten some education. What has he not got? Not a new resident. See, that's the whole problem. The house is empty. He's empty. He doesn't have the Savior. We can do all kinds of things for people in churches, and I'm saying we should. I'm not saying we shouldn't. Feed them, clothe them, educate them, all that kind of stuff. But if we are not filling the house, we are not helping them. The bottom line is not the gospel. Then it's no deliverance. In fact, it is a deliverance to a worse condition. Notice what he says. Then he goes, takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation jesus says to the jews that's what happened to them they just they were worse and they got even worse that's what happens when there's no residence you see it's just a changing of residence it's changing controls you got to come out you can't just you can be in the domain of satan clean your life up we got a lot of religions out there that are doing that doesn't help them doesn't change them Okay, so morally, they take a bump up. And we were talking about in Sunday school how the FBI likes to hire Mormons. You know why? Because they got a clean record. They don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't go with girls that do. They don't steal, they don't do stuff because they are very religious. But if you're in the domain of Satan, he doesn't mind you being religious. 
just don't come to Jesus. He's got a residence problem. He likes to keep control. But he won't enter those guys because, man, he's got them under his boot. It's a resident. He doesn't care what you do with your life. Just don't come to Christ. Don't preach the gospel. Don't preach the thing that actually changes people over, truly converts them, truly moves them out, truly takes them out of his control. Don't do that. He's completely against that. And that's the only thing that actually is working. You have to fill the house. That's our job. Our responsibility as Christians, as, as sons of light left in a dark domain, our responsibility is to shine. We've got no time to mess with darkness. We've got no time to get involved in stuff that God doesn't want us to be involved in. It's not just about you. Oh, well, God's upset with me because I'm not doing right in my life. And I would say, yes, he definitely is. But it's not just about you. He's placed you here as a lamp and you're smudging it. You're a window that the world's looking through and you're dirtying it. You're not going to be here long. You don't, have a, you don't have an option to run your life however you want to. There's a world dying out there. There's a world that's under dominion and under, under, under false teaching and under the lie and the destruction and the deception of the devil. And you're the only one that has a message. And you're not doing nothing. Come on. There ought to be an urgency among us for sure when we recognize what God has commissioned us to do. I want to ask you please to bow your heads and close your eyes. We need to get to a conclusion here. We consider the powerful things of God, what a, what a great commission indeed we have, responsibility that we have to bear light to our world, to bear salt to a world that is putrefied because of the evil that's there and the control that's there. What an incredible responsibility we have to stand with uh, confidence Confidence in God's word, confidence in his presence, confidence in his protection, confidence in his call to give the message out, to live right in a world, such a, such a hatred of things in our own life that, that smudge that light. Heavenly Father, I pray that that would be true of us, Lord, that these words would find a place in our hearts in such a way that we would be different. Why are they here? They're here for our instruction because we need to know and we need to stop living in the oblivion of thinking everything's fine and people are going to be okay because they're not. They're really not. Not okay right now. They're not going to be okay apart from your invading their lives, apart from you taking them over, apart from your residency in their lives permanently. God, I thank you for the message you've commissioned to us, Lord. I pray we'd be faithful to give it out. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.